Happy New Year, one and all, and welcome to another TMG interview here at The Movie Guys. Uh, my name is Paul Preston, this week we're diving deep into an indie. Nothing more I enjoy than stories from the front lines about making an indie film. And this one is about a baby born in a hospital whose nurse decides to smuggle him out of the hospital's care and show him an adventure. Why? Yes. Because the baby is aging four years per hour. And so clearly he's got like a day he's got to go full howard jones live life in one day uh, she doesn't want him to be poked and prodded by uh, medical staff and the uh, officials and the authorities who are in the way uh the, the title is tom of your life and the filmmaker here to chat it up is jeremy sklar hello jeremy hello paul Greetings. how are you uh so the tagline what would you do if you were living the entire human lifespan in one day road trip I mean, I'm sold, but what else do people need to know out there to uh, look up time of your life, find it and watch it? That's funny. That log line was written by uh, the executive producer, my brother, Chuck Sklar, who's kind of like a name and he's like an Emmy award winning comedy writer who works a lot with Chris Rock. And I, I haven't heard that tagline in a while. It is. It's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's another one on the PDF. I think it was like aging uh, born. This morning, aging four years an hour, it's going to be a day or something. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we never, we could never quite decide on that. And sort of, yeah. But I love the way you actually set up the, the pitch of this movie because it was like, and a nurse smuggles a baby out of the hospital. Like, it sounds like a horror movie. It sounds <laughs> awful. But it's a yes. It's um, you know, it's a it's a comedy drama, um, very much in a in a in a you know, I was very inspired by the. Uh, kind of a trio of movies of Hal Ashby. He's sort of the, 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 the patron saint, quite honestly, of a lot of independent filmmakers, really. That's not really an original thought. He's a real genius filmmaker of the 70s who made uh, Harold and Maude. And, uh, uh, Being yeah. there in the last detail, I think, of the other thank two. You, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Hal Ashby really inspired me with uh, Being There and The Last Detail and Harold and Maude. And that, those trio of movies were very influential to me to tell a kind of a fable of sorts because obviously it's a ridiculous premise like what, what do you mean a boy is aging or a child is aging four years each hour it sounds like it's going to be like you know ridiculous and I and I wanted to just sort of you know make a, a movie that was just grounded in magic realism really just sort of like okay we got this kind of insane premise going on that really nobody can buy you're not really going to buy it and then just let's let's just leave it alone let's not even get into like explaining it's not it's not a, it's not a disease movie it's not a like you know medical like well where will they find the cure where the huh, we're in the hospital like no it's just it's a road trip movie with two opposite paired people a very um high strung kind of stressed out nurse who's got her own uh, life problems going on. And it's very much her story in a lot of ways. I mean, I was very, uh, I was very interested in exploring her story because who can relate, like who could relate to a, someone growing and aging and evolving four years each hour. It's like, that's impossible. Um, but the question that was interesting to me would be, what if you were in charge of somebody or what if you were you know, the, 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 the chaperone uh, or nurse of, of somebody who was going through that. And you were assigned the task of like, 
all right, well, let's, they're going to go through the entire lifespan in basically 24 or so hours. What is life to you? What would be the, what would be the, the milestones? What would be the things you would really, you only got 24 hours. What, what can you do? You got a car, you got some cash. What would you want to show them about life? And in doing so, in doing that, causing you being the nurse to sort of re-examine like, yeah, what, what am I showing you? And what, why is this the way, what, why do I think that's important? Like, why do I think that's even a milestone? Is this the only, is this the only way to live one's life? Is this, you know, so it's, it's very much just kind of using that, you know, uh, premise, that high concept as just a, a a way to explore life and to and to cherish life and to uh, yeah uh, remember that you know we this is all fiction this entire human thing is like a, is a fiction and, uh, in a script that you're handed when you're born basically and it's actually pretty good fiction it's 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 I'm not like ragging on life but it's it is fiction I mean. Uh, you know, all right, now you go to school because this is what we all made up. We made up this system and it really works awesome for many people, but many people, it doesn't, it doesn't really go with who they are. And it certainly didn't go with me growing up. Um, I was always just like, what is it? What am I, why am I in school? What is going on? <laughs> why do I have to go do that? I don't want to go do that. I mean, okay, I guess I got to go do that. So that's kind of what it's, what it's about. It's sort of a re-examination of life in a kind of comical way with some drama and some hopefully moving moments in it and uh, a kick-ass soundtrack by my band, uh, the Blackstrap Molasses. Well, that's and, certainly um, a, a, a nod to Hal Ashby. I mean, who's, I mean, Cat Stevens drove. Yeah, I, I love it. And yeah, but I, I want to get out first, I should have done this at the top, is that the film's on Amazon Prime. So that's not just go rent it. This is for you lazy folks who, who will only watch what's streaming. You got in the streaming game. So back to the music. This is, a, again, a true indie film because you're the writer, you're the director, you edited the damn thing, you're in it. And then so, you know, you had to go find someone to do the music and you got uh, the Blackstrap Molasses. Surprised, also you. So yeah, it, was, it really all sounds, I also admit that like upon hearing this, like, oh God, like it sounds like it's gonna be awful. Like it's not like if someone tells me, I mean, let's be honest. If someone tells me like, I'm the writer, I'm the director, I did the music for it and I star in it. Oh God, oh God. Um, and I was very aware of that. I, I, I honestly, I always had this vision of doing a movie like this since I was a kid and even did some little plays and mini movies where I was doing all these things as a child. And then, you know, you grow up and people tell you, and rightfully so, they tell you, uh, you can't do all those things. You got to pick a thing and get good at it and, and earn a living at it. Mm -hmm. And it was good advice. And I took that advice and worked really hard as an actor for a bunch of years and pretty much got nowhere. And then um, started my music around age of 22 or so and um, had that on the side and then pursued that a little bit and immediately was like, I hate it. I don't want to pursue music. I love music. I love making music. I have no desire to be a whatever rock star or anything. And then I started writing 
um, I'm like, I think I'm just a storyteller, not just a storyteller, but you know, a storyteller is great. So I started writing screenplays and all in the back of my head, I, that little childhood kind of delusional notion of like, oh, I'll do this and I'll do that. And I'll, you know, just, it just, it's, it's stuck around. It stuck around. I couldn't shake it. And so each time I'd sort of, you know, I try to be an actor, failed. Try to be a musician, hated it, <laughs> failed. Uh, try to be a screenwriter. And that was actually the first thing that got me in the door of some places. And I started selling some, you know, low rent screenplays for like sci-fi uh, uh, horror kind of genre stuff. And, and I, the entire time, I just, I couldn't shake this dream of, of making these, well, in a way, yeah, going back to Hal Ashby, it's almost like making a, a, a Harold and Maude type of a movie, like a sort of sweet, bittersweet, comedy with one artist do, doing the music except that would also be me and I I tried to do that one time and I I, I I couldn't really figure out how to do that because it's not you know the movie is not the, the music in this movie is not um, like hopefully not I, I, on the nose kind of music it's not like you know Oh, Tom, what are you going to do with, right, with your short got one body? day to get through Yes. <laughs> so, to, so to really figure out how to really be, you know, tap that other part of me to, to write music that's more abstractly commenting on the, the, the character's sort of collective psyche of the world of the movie rather than like, you know, being... To, and, it, and yeah, and my first attempt was was horrible. Was like my first song was like a Jess, you know, the, is the nurse theme song, and it was exactly that. It was like I forget how it goes. It wasn't that bad of a song, but it was very much in that vein of you know Jess, Jess, Jess yeah, you, what are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You're was, a flawed hero. Da, 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 yeah, da. yeah, totally. And I was like, <laughs> okay, that is exactly what I don't want to do. So I don't know. I, and 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 I did also look for other. Like I really, I was really pursuing Jeff Tweedy from Wilco uh, just cause I know a couple people who, uh, I don't really know him, but I was really pursuing, I wanted, I knew what kind of music I wanted. And I'm a big fan of, of Wilco's album, uh, A Ghost Is Born. And there's a song on that album called Hummingbird that was, I almost think that song was like the kind of inception point of the idea of this entire movie. And the song is not about, it doesn't tell the story of this, my, but it's just there's a feeling about it. It's a really sad song, but it's also kind of comical. And it's very much about, you know, life is sort of like a hummingbird. It's just like flying fast and, and then it's gone. You know, it's, and, this, uh, and this line in that song, his goal in life was to be an echo. And I, oh, I love that song. I love that song. <laughs> so I think that, that steered me into a, a, a particular vein of songwriting uh, that seemed to work. And then I found just amazing musicians in Chicago who I, I'm not a very good musician, but, but, um, but I just really found amazing musicians who, you know, everybody in Chicago was like, how the hell did you get him? How'd you, that guy's like really expensive. And they all worked for, for, you know, sorry, but they worked for chicken feed and I, and, and but they believed, they believed in the project and I was, I'm an extremely grateful uh, to them all. Yeah. So, so this theme is important to you. Clearly you've talked about how, 
you know, living life to the fullest and all that is sort of uh, potent. Is it potent because uh, of who you are now after all these experiences? Has it always been something like you said you were in elementary school going, what about, this is the path I have to follow. This is required. <laughs> da, da, da. You know, and uh, Pixar's soul is covering something like that too, about how, you know, you want to live your life to the fullest. So um, any more personal connection to what led you to make this your first? Yeah. You know, um, it's an interesting story, uh, maybe. <laughs> um, uh, we were really trying to raise money for another movie uh, to be my first movie. And now we're basically at the deadline and we have about $80,000. $80, and we really did a you know a reality check on us. And we're like, look, this movie, if I'm going to really make it right, that this, this movie is more like a, a Hollywood low budget movie. This is actually like a $4 million, $5 million movie. Like this is not a, this is not a hundred thousand dollar movie. So I said, but I have this other idea for a movie and my producer, James Sharp was like, oh, what's that? And I said, well, I was watching a documentary at like two in the morning, like a four minute little doc on YouTube, you know, scurrying around YouTube. And uh, it was on the mayfly. And the mayfly is this insect that basically lives for about 27 hours. And it's like born, eats, screws, has spawn, dies. Like, and I, I had in the back of my mind, I was brewing a, I wanted to make a road movie with opposites on the road. I love those kinds. And they're just fun. I love those kinds of movies, whether it's romantic or buddy or whatnot. And I wanted to do my kind of magic realism type thing that I like. Or, or lo-fi sci-fi, which I kind of like. And, you know, I was thinking, oh, maybe one of them's an alien or whatever. I'm like, ah, that's been done. Starman's, <laughs> Starman's, I'm a big John Carpenter fan. I should always, always want to mention him because that was sort of, I blame him actually for erroneously giving me the, the, the idea that that's what directors do, that they write, direct, and do music for them. <laughs> Honestly, True, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of, I, I, I have him to blame. Um, I used to I used to tape his music like for his movies just like with a little you know micro cassette recorder uh, off of uh, you know cable early days of cable. Love, How committed love, are you? Did you go love, see the tour when he toured uh, playing his music? Love, I did see him in Chicago. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it was yeah, fun. Well, you are it was fun. You are legit. No, I'm, I I got a I got a shirt coming my way that's got you know uh, uh, what has it got Antarctica 1982 on it like uh, the, <laughs> nice the beginning of the thing. Yep. Um, so I, I, I go, I think I, and I've been thinking about a movie, maybe where like somebody's going through like dog years, like, you know, like a dog is, you know, and I was like, and I love dogs and I'm like, yeah, but I couldn't really figure it out. And then I saw that doc with the mayfly and I'm like, boom, I got it. That's it. You got a little ticking time clock of 24 hours or whatnot. And I'll figure it out. I'll figure out how to, how to make a story out of it. And then really back to your es the essence of your question, man. Um, when I think about it, look, you know, in reality, you, you, a lot of artists and myself included, you, I don't, you don't know where these things are coming from and you do them and then you kind of reflect on them almost afterwards sometimes, right? And you're, and you're sort of like, yeah, what, where did that come from? And I honestly think it's, yeah, I got a lot of mortality on the brain even before COVID. I think I, I had a lot of early death in my life uh, with, uh, you know, 
grandparents normally, but like some tragedy, some some losing good friends in in a, in a fire, and uh, like you know in fourth grade, and and then my favorite mm -hmm. teacher um, who I was very close with and really believed in me, like dying, and so there was a real there. I did have you know. I had a lot of shocks to my, you know, also like my family, we almost all died in a car accident. Uh, very, so uh, yeah, it was a lot. It was like, I kind of had like an absolute idyllic childhood suburban, you know, life of a, you know, North shore of Chicago and all that stuff. And then basically after fourth grade or so, I got pretty seriously depressed and, and started withdrawing after all that kind of death was hitting me. Um, so, Back to that, I think when I started writing this, I was definitely realizing like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm just finishing uh, uh, grad school at a pretty old age, um, eh, you know, 40s, but I mean, it's not that unusual, but you know, there you are, you're in your 40s, you're with a bunch of kids, you know, uh, and then I'm also back in Chicago and I'm looking at my parents and they're, you know, in their 80s now and and yeah, I'm just, I was just, I'm really was uh, seeing, and I'm, I was also like, if we don't make this movie now, uh, I don't know if I'm ever going to get a chance to, to, I've been trying to make a feature for the last 15 years and just have not been able to get the financing together and, and had many, many close calls and did the whole normal route of, you know, let's get the star attached and we'll do it if the money comes in, uh, doing, you know, doing the whole Hollywood game. Very exciting, came very close various times, you know, developed a movie with Joe Dante, you know, met like um, um, uh, Ken Watanabe for a movie. Like, so, but just, ton, you know, tons of like, and I just was like, all right, I gotta go to grad school. Uh, Cause I'm basically a guy with a script under his arm. I don't know how to do it. Like, I don't know how to film. I don't know how to edit. I don't know how to record my own music. I, and I'm very jealous of all these 20 year olds, to tell you the truth. <laughs> Grew up with this stuff. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So jealous. Like, I really felt like I was like, I'm, I'm born in the wrong generation. Um, yeah. Kid, go down and get $3,000 worth of film stock and then see how much fun this is. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. You go to film school, you cut film with a razor blade. You see how, I mean, that's what I did. Like back yeah. in the late 90s. It sounds like you, like the 1890s, you know, <laughs> when you talk about it. Like, I had a razor blade and I taped, filmed it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I could feel the clock. I could really feel the clock of time. I could really feel the clock of age um, uh, saying to me, well, you better do something big now. You've been, you've been thinking big and dreaming big and, and working on this and that and that to make these things come together in some capacity, whether consciously or unconsciously or both. It better be now or never. So there was there was definitely a kind of now or never thing like surging through my 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 whole life at, at, at the time. No, dude, it sounds like it's all leading to this. Like I you know, know what I mean? Honestly, Everything yeah. From it's childhood it's, stories through your education, through you know, the reflection on your life. It's like it's all led to this. And I think that's awesome. Thanks, man. And and that you did it. I mean, how many I mean you know how many movies are unfinished if you're done you've already won and then when you execute like you did here you know you should be proud of yourself yeah I, yeah i am i mean i'm, I'm i just want to get the word out there about it more and uh, so thanks again for having me on here
Well, I think Prime really helps. Again, I'll, I don't want to. I want to yeah, yeah. stress that out. It's easy to to get and watch and a click. Now yeah. we've ventured into you know indie filmmaking challenges, right? So choices you make because you're not just constantly calling back to the head office of the lot and getting more money for whatever mega blockbuster you're working on. Right. So with that, uh, what other challenges did you have to overcome? Uh, I saw the locations were donated. That's always a good thing, right? It's amazing. Uh, that was, yeah, I, look, I don't know if I would have gotten as many locations on this movie if this story didn't hit something with people who I was talking to. It was very like, if I was, I could be wrong about that. If I was, but if I was making like a, you know, a horror movie or, you know, the, the usual route for like your first movie or something, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I, I was floored by, by, you know, uh, how much was donated uh, to this movie. Uh, horse ranches and, and architecture tour boats on the Chicago River and I mean, some pretty amazing, some pretty amazing stuff that looks very expensive, doesn't it? And I knew that that was, that that was like, that was the key. I didn't want to make a feature, my first feature be um, a bunch of people in, an, in a few rooms, you know? Look, Chicago's, that's my city as a kid. That's, that's as a child being taken to Chicago as a little kid. I just was always like, oh, I gotta make a movie here. Look at the L trains and the buildings and the just Hollywood certainly comes here. I'm not saying they don't come here and shoot. There's tons of stuff going on here, but it's very much like, all right, let's go to Buckingham Fountain. All right, uh, there's the Sears Tower. Okay, <laughs> here we are in Lincoln Park. All right, that's Chicago. It's not, <laughs> it's like, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's they're pretty, but a lot more to it. So I just, I, I gambled that I could get, you know, talk to people and get stuff. And, and, I, and I always, here's an, here's an indie film trick. Um, it's not a trick, it's just reality. Uh, you're not gonna have stars in your movie. So you need to make the locations like the Tom Cruise of your movie. You've really gotta like, uh, I think it's wise. I think it's wise to, to, to Think of your location and your and the people you're talking to, who you might be able to use their location. Like, love those people. Those are your stars. Treat those people. Treat the horse ranch owner. Um, they're the star of the day. You're visiting in their world. Um, and I can't believe how many filmmakers and film sets. And even sometimes I saw I caught it on my on my own set. Um, just people, I don't know what it is about movie sets. Like when you move into location, you just don't, these people don't care about like where they're at. And they're just like, yeah, so we said you didn't put it out on, on the horse ranch lawn. Like, like we're moving in. It's like, look, we're working hard. You know, this is, I don't care about who owns this, this house I'm in. I got my job to do. It's like, no, no, no. Actually the boss of the day um, should be the person who owns that house. That's, that's who's running the day. That's your star. Um, the location is the star. You need to pamper the location and the location people and bring them into the process and include them and have lunch with them and make friends with them. And, and when you go even ask these people, don't, don't go in there asking like, you know, hi, I'm a big important movie person. I'd like to do. No, it's like, just assume they're gonna say no and go make friends with them. 
go make friends with them. And, and they probably will say no at first. And then don't take no for an answer, but don't just, just keep trying to make friends with them. You know, just be curious about who they are. I can't stress that enough. Honestly, I can't stress that enough. I, it's, it makes me sick the way some people behave on location um, regarding the, the treatment of the location and the people who, you know, whose lives are being lived in this location. So that's, that's really essential. And I'd like to think that maybe that's why I was able, with that attitude, that's why I was able to kind of get these uh, locations for zero dollars or very cheap. I mean, you know, very, you know, for a song, basically. Uh, and you never know until you ask also, right? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You don't. You don't. You could be like, well, we're never going to be able to film in that in uh, that big bank or whatever. Not that there was no bank, but I'm just saying an example like, oh, we'd never be able to get a, a, a giant tour boat and commandeer a tour boat on the Chicago River. Uh, that's going to be friggin' expensive as hell. I mean, I was getting estimates from other big Hollywood folks who were like, yeah, that's going to be about, that'll run you about 10,000, 15,000 to get a boat for, for a day. And I'm like, well, I don't need it for a day. If I really buy tickets on the boat and really map out exactly what I'm going to do, I could probably get it all done in about an hour or two hours. Um, so yeah, you know, you, you really, yeah, you know, I already said it. You just, you really got to You, you got to cater and, and honor and treat the location and the location owner or whatever as that's, that's your Tom Cruise of your movie. Well, it's interesting your, to hear that because I already took away be nice to everyone as probably one of the themes of your production because uh, the cast is all people you've worked a lot of people you've worked with before as well. And you see that from your level right up to Adam Sandler. It's like, look, I just want to be around people I like. And so if you're nice, you'll, you'll work more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard work, right? It's hard work making anything really, but it's, it's hard work making a movie and you're not going to, you're not going to love everybody you work with. I, I'm more concerned with, um, I'm not, I'm not totally in the camp of say like, you know, I, I like the story of Kevin Smith who, who, you know, makes movies with his friends and, the, and, and, and some of them are good. And he's like, he remembers, uh, uh, might've been Harvey Weinstein. He remembers Harvey Weinstein telling him like, look, this is, we're like, you're in the big time now. This is not about making movies with your friends. And he was like, well, why not? And, and I like that, but it's, it's not about that. I mean, I actually, it's a professional workplace and, and I hope that the people who are, who are close to me are close to me, are really my, my inner sort of world sanctum. Like, yes, they, I hold on to them for dear life. My, my good friend, James Sharp and producer and my older brother, uh, executive producer. Um, and uh, You'd worked with you know, Bayes before, your lead actress, haven't you? No. No, I thought you no. did a short film with her. I knew Bayes only through a friend of mine at DePaul University who made a short film with her. Ah, okay. It was a couple. And I had seen that short film and she had no dialogue in the film. It was, she was a lead in it, but it was a kind of a live action animation hybrid movie, excuse me, uh, live action animation hybrid film. 
And I just thought she was amazing. I just thought like her face and her eyes and her behavior, you know, was just of everything. And so I, I auditioned probably about a hundred or so different uh, uh, young women for the role. And she was a little bit younger than I wanted. And so at first I was not gonna cast her. And then we did a, something very important too, which I recommend for when you're doing casting. If you're really like, you're, you're unsure between, you know, you got your two or three or four people picked out. You gotta, you gotta project them up on a big screen. Project them up on a big screen. Don't just be watching stuff on your computer, your audition tapes and whatnot. That's fine to start off with, it's great. But when it comes down to the nitty gritty and you're really like, oh, I'm not sure between these two. And once I once we put Bayes up on the big screen, I was like, whoa, what was I even thinking about? That's she's that's it. That's it by a mile. So that that really um yeah, that had but I hadn't I hadn't worked with her before, but I'm hoping that this movie really you know, knock on wood that it really launches launches her because boy if there's any if there's been anything universal about this film most of we've gotten really strong reviews for the movie um but even some of the bad reviews uh have singled out bays as like like wow who the hell is that uh she's gonna be a star i've never heard of her before where is she and i even had the the, the director rod Lurie loves this movie it made me so happy um and has been a real great supporter of the movie and was very like wow who is that lead actress, I really would love to work with her sometime. She's really great. So I, it was, it was fantastic. It was, you know, as Bay said in some interviews, she was, she said like, you know, you make these little short movies with a college or something and you know, you do it, you're racking up experience. And the theory is, Hey, you never know who's going to maybe see this sometime, but uh, really you're like, whatever, I'm going to do it and I'll, I'll do good, a great job or I'll try to do my best. But I don't expect anything to actually come of this little short film I'm making it in a graduate school. And lo and behold, that was a case where it was like, well, somebody saw it and now she's has her first lead in a feature film because of this, you know, very good uh, short little film that she made. Uh, well, uh, yeah. that leads me to two more questions. Cause you mentioned like being in something and you never know who's going to see it. So this film made a, a run in the festivals, Cinequest, I noticed, and Dances with Films, you mm -hmm. won an award even. Mm -hmm. So what is, how was the festival run overall for you? And, and it was, did it bleed over into COVID times at all? Or was it uh, already oh, purchased big, by Gravitas? This is a good story, man. So uh, <laughs> this is crazy. Um, yeah, so we're submitting our, our movie to festivals in, in 2019. Um, and I'm still kind of working on a movie, but we're, you know, we submitted to you know, the majors who have like markets attached to them that you really you need to get into South by and Sundance and, and uh, Toronto and uh, Berlin, and, you know, uh, and I know they're really hard to get into, but I kind of had my heart set on getting into uh, South by because I just thought like, oh, the music and the da -da, and it's gonna, I think it's going to appeal to them. And and uh, no, we got, we, we didn't do well. We didn't do well with the, with the, with the seven, you know, biggie uh, major festivals, but we did well with like the next tier down. We did like, like Cinequest and dances with films. Um, 
and some other festivals. We we won a best uh, narrative feature at uh, 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 Albuquerque International Festival, and we, but I, and we did very well again uh, in Europe. We just uh, got an honorable mention for best film and best director at uh, the Paris uh, Around Paris International Film Festival. And who else is looking for it's Rotten, Rotter, Rotterdam, uh, Amsterdam. Uh, so it's getting into some international festivals, which I love. Uh, but yeah, I was hoping I was hoping for some more festival love. We all want to get into those top seven tiered festivals because yes, that can really that can really open some blow open some doors. Um, so, but we were doing okay. And then here comes our, our first, our world premiere um, to screen at uh, the, the Silicon Valley uh, Cinequest Festival. And it's gonna premiere March 6th, 2020. Okay. And so here, so here, that, and I'm like, my parents are all excited to go to you know San Jose and see their son's uh, dream come to fruition or whatever. And I said, hey, I don't, I'm hearing about this like virus, that's a new virus. There's no vaccine for it. And it's like really dangerous for people in their seventies and eighties. And I kind of think maybe you shouldn't go. And my dad was like, nothing in the world could keep me from going to, okay. So we, so I fly to San Jose, I meet my brothers there. um, And it's like rats, fleeing a sinking ship San Jose at the time we get there and I'm, t- I'm talking to the festival people I'm like is this still going on I'm like well, no no we're still having the festival we're still having the festival I'm like, okay seems, seems like is San Jose usually this empty I'm like well, it, well it'll be all right <laughs> okay, so I'm getting my clothes on and trying to look my coolest or whatever best to go to the premiere um and I'm, now I'm starting to hear, see the texts and I'm like, South by Southwest, canceled. Blah, 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 canceled, canceled, COVID. And I'm looking at the news and the news is saying, hotspots now in the United States appear to be San Francisco and San Jose. And I'm like, ah, this is, this is perfect. So I, my, my dream comes to fruition and I'm going to be killed by a virus uh, because of it. Yeah, I was very... I was very distraught. We did go, we did actually screen there. Um, and then that night and, uh, and it was, I mean, whatever, there was 20 people there. Uh, I was very grateful for that, quite honestly, uh, very grateful. And they loved the movie and I, and it was also very helpful to me because I could, I could also sense mm, that was, there's some tweaks still to go here. I could, there was a scene where I was like, that that's gotta get shortened and there was music cues that needed to be, yeah. So it was very helpful creatively to me to watch it with an audience. And then, then you found got, yourself with ample time to make those changes. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then we got the hell out of there and everything else, all the other festivals were canceled. And we even had a big screening plan for LA for industry folks canceled. And uh, and then I we made the decision, uh, the executive producer and I to just say, you know what? I don't even think there's going to be a festival run on this movie. I don't even think there's going to be a festivals. Let's just, you know, let's just go after distributors like right now. Let's just pick up the phone and start calling and get our agent to go shop it around. 
And uh, yeah, and so we, you know, and I, I had my eye on Gravitas Ventures in the first place because they're. Um, and, and back in February, I talked to Paul Osborne, who I, th- I think we're mutual friends with. Oh, Paul. And, Paul, and Patrick yeah, Paul Day about Cruel Hearts, which you can get at Gravitas Ventures as well. Absolutely. And I just talked to Blaine Weaver. His horror film Getaway is there, is there as well. So mm-hmm. a lot of good titles yeah. over there. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, yeah. Paul Paul and his wife and I are, we're all, we're all really close. Um, so they're good people. So, um, yeah, so I, and I also knew that Gravitas Ventures was a name. It was a name, you know, right or wrong, it's a name. You, t- you say that to, to the lay movie fan and they actually know that name. Mm-hmm. Whereas you say most of the other distributors in that kind of tier, like I've never, I don't even know. I don't know what that is. So they've, that was, that was good. That was, I was really happy that we, they were really interested in it. I, I don't know if I played it right. Maybe I should have waited another year and submitted my film to the to to Sundance and to South by because it you know they they took a look and it was an unfinished film it was still the color correcting needed to happen and the music needed to, had to be properly mixed and you know it wasn't done but it was the cut was pretty much done the cut was actually done but you know look I, personally I think movies stink until they're absolutely done I kind of do even your own movie even your own baby you're it, there's, there's, you know, it's like, I mean, you think about it, like movies like Jaws, right? You ever see like Jaws on TV as a kid and you see those like, those scenes that were cut out and, and you're just like, wow, yeah, that would have sucked if that scene was really in the movie. That's a stupid scene. What is Quint doing? He's, they, I remember hearing about they shot some whole giant movie theater scene where everyone in Amity is watching Moby Dick in a movie theater and Quint gets up and is like, this is crap. You know, like that was actually, they filmed this. And I'm like, so, so look, even <laughs> the greatest movies, I mean, I'm sorry, even like the Godfather until that thing was absolutely done. Like it, a movie is not a movie until it is absolutely done. You know? Well, I so. get deep, you know, Blu-rays and deleted scenes and I watch them and they're crap. That's why we deleted them. I guess yes. it's entertaining, but I'm like, well, thank God they get rid of that. Yes. 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 <laughs> most of the oh, time, God. you know, sometimes oh, there's a gem, but most of the time it's like, well, that's, I see why they did that. And sound is so important. Like having good sound, that's, that's the difference maker between having a real movie and not having a real movie to tell you the truth. It's it it is movie, because right? cameras look so good and anyone can get a good looking camera. You can get a good looking camera on your phone. And so yeah. my friend, my friend Mike always says, everything is brilliant on YouTube with the sound down. As soon as you turn the, turn the sound up, you're, you're either now in tune with the quality or the content and either could be crap. <laughs> yeah. But it'll yeah. look good, you know, because that part's easier, become easier over time. Yeah, it's really true. So I, so that was a big deal to really get the sound right. And I worked very hard with a company in Chicago called Noise Floor. Uh, to uh, get it, get it right, and get it more right, and get it. Ah, I mean, by look, I was working on this film. Quite honestly, after Gravitas said we're taking your film, like this will be awesome, and uh, get us all the the components by June fifteenth. And let me tell you, I was working on this movie until June fifteenth, mm-hmm. <laughs> really, to get everything as and and all of it audio. Quite honestly, it was all audio. I did maybe like a like a nip of one scene, just took a little bit out of one scene based on on my my previous big movie theater screenings at, at CineQuest and at DePaul University. 
Um, but that was about it. The rest of it was just me tweaking sound, me not happy with the the the, the way the opening music started. It didn't it didn't um, grab the attention of the viewers, saying like this is this kind of movie we're in for. Let's you know it's very important, right? To like just whether you it's very important to establish exactly um, what kind of movie are we in for here? You know, who's the author of this movie? You know, what's, what's the point of view here? Um, very early, um, especially these days, but I think in general. Um, and I didn't think my movie was doing that yet. And, I, and it wasn't because of the edit, it was because of the audio wasn't mixed right. And the music itself wasn't quite right. So I redid the entire opening uh, music section and uh, that helped at least it helped me a lot I was really like I was not quite happy with the movie to be honest until all audio components were really absolutely nailed and then I was like okay I made a pretty good movie here <laughs> like, this is actually okay this is now a real movie this is a movie um you know, it's no, it's not Citizen Kane, but this is this is a this is a solid first first film, and I was uh, so yeah, I'm I'm proud of it. But it's it's funny, right? I mean, people don't talk enough about about audio. Uh, it's not very sexy, I guess, right? People yeah, don't but even if you're not attuned to audio, if you're just casual viewer, you know right away. If like Absolutely. wow, those people could have been Mike, then I would have been more drawn into this film or something. You know, like yeah, that's yeah. it. Separate. It does. It is a separator a quality separator between projects no question totally totally but now uh i got one more question for you because you've mentioned jaws godfather citizen kane the greatest movies of all time so i ask everyone who i talk to who's a filmmaker or comedian or actor or anything really on the movie guys what's your favorite movie of all time oh it's a silly uh uh cliche one i would say it's jaws (laughs) that's why i know so much about it you've delved deep into it over time yeah. Uh, and not the first yeah. time I've had that answer, you know, in 250 plus interviews or whatever. I mean, it's clearly come up a bunch. Oh, it is an all-time oh, yeah. classic. It's, it's, I, I want to say something cool and obscure, and but it's like, I like where it's just like, you know, I knew what question you're about to ask. I was like, Jaws, like it's coming <laughs> up in my eye. Like, look, I was, ma- I was making my own versions of Jaws in my bathtub and filming them like as a, you know, in like 1970 nine or like as a four-year-old or whatever the hell like was had a rubber shark and a little adventure people boat and, uh, and doing the whole thing and oh doing scenes that they would have cut yeah yeah i was doing the, <laughs> the chase scene, scene you know yeah <laughs> um so uh it's an incredible movie it is it's sort of the perfect marriage of like those early 70s character centric world centric movies meets a crazy ass Roger Corman dinosaur monster movie. Like it's the <laughs> yeah. most, it's really like a, a kind of a bizarro, like, like it's like, it's yeah. It's like if, if John Cassavetes directed a, 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 a monster movie. I mean, it's very, you know, and you know, with, 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 with uh, Alfred Hitchcock whispering in his ear as a, as a ghost director, it's really fascinating. And also great lessons to be learned about, you know, making of a movie and when things go wrong, which they always do, how to be constantly, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in tune with well, what are you really trying to say with your movie? And do you need to have that? And, uh, you know, yeah, obviously referring to like that, they couldn't get the shark to work ever. And so they went from like, okay, we're making a monster movie to 
more of like an Alfred Hitchcock, the birds type of the situation. We're going to really zero in on the characters in the town and we're going to use the fact that we can't see the shark in a productive way. Um, so a lot of, lot, besides being an incredible uh, movie, it's, it's uh, great, great lessons to be learned from it. My runner up to Jaws is for his favorite movie of all time. I mean, yeah, it might be Citizen Kane, The Godfather. Um, it might even be, uh, recently someone asked me what my 10 favorite movies were of all time, and that changes on a day. I, I said at that moment, trying to be cool, but it's sort of true, uh, Akira Kurosawa's Dreams. I really love that movie. That movie feels like you're in someone's dreams, like mm -hmm. in a very real way. It's amazing. I was just watching a clip from it the other day, the part where Martin Scorsese plays Van Gogh and, and the, the, the guy walks into the Van Gogh painting and be like beautiful. I, I, my, my taste is extremely wide. I feel like if I can get a sense of what the filmmaker is trying to do um, and they're doing it, I get very excited. So, I, so my taste is kind of like really all over the map. I mean, one of my favorite films is Robert Bresson's uh, A Man Escaped. Um, taught me a lot, taught me a lot. Uh, talk, talk, look up Robert Bresson uh, audio or what is it? He has this sort of, he had the, he's a great French filmmaker who had this very austere, um, very influenced, uh, influenced Paul Schrader quite a bit. Um, and he had this belief that if, if you want sound, that sound and vision, uh, your brain can't process both fully all at the same time. Even though Hollywood mostly is like, they're throwing effects at you and they're throwing louder and wah, ah. And that's why you're, when you're watching like a giant spectacle movie and there's just amazing things going on. You're sort of like, I guess I should be wowed, but it's just been going on for like an hour. None of it's really landing. It's just a lot of noise, image and sound, a lot of noise. But enough and, about Wonder Woman. And Brisson Brisson <laughs> and Brisson was, I really like the first one. I haven't seen the second one, but I've heard, obviously. Yeah. Um, uh, Don't rush. Brisson was very much in the school of, uh, if you want the audio, if you want the sound to be important in the scene, make your image very dull. Make it dull, make it flat, make it uninteresting even. So that the sound and your ears are now really taking in uh, into your body, even like the importance of it and then vice versa. Uh, if, the, if the image is really important, let's, let's let that sink in and brain process that and let the sound be a be a, a supporting back you know uh you know an extra in the scene um and he really did that i mean to a point of like wow it's it's some of his films uh but a man escaped diary of a country priest and uh uh hazard balthazar balthazar the donkey i think is the name of of the film uh those are those are my Brisson masterpieces, and I and I have I I do take those lessons of his to heart about the kind of juxtaposition and interplay of like okay let's do the sound for all right now we're going to do the image, and I think that's a really vital thing that even Schrader who's who who has said um, you know his movie First Reformed 
is a, is a great, I mean, Schrader's great because he's such an, ex, he, he experiments. He, he plays with the medium and he, he's not afraid to take risks. I mean, his movie, uh, Dog Eat Dog, which no one saw with like Nick Cage and, and Willem Dafoe is amazing. It feels like it was like made by like a 20 year old. It just feels like <laughs> whacked, experimental and crazy and in your face over the top. Really fun, really interesting. Um, but then he made First Reformed, which was, I thought was the best film of by far by, in 2000, what, 1918 when it came out? I forget. Uh, but um, that, was, that was his Brosson transcendental style film. And I, I really loved that. And I was so happy to see that in a theater because um, you can't really watch these movies at home. It's their heart, their heart. They require your attention. I mean, what do I watch at home? I watch friggin' Family Guy and uh, <laughs> Monty Python's Flying Circus episode. I, I don't really watch, I, I miss the movie theater. I am I an old fuddy-duddy in yeah. that capacity. But, but there's a, there's a, the art was meant to overwhelm you. And if you know, you're watching the movie, you know, without a, on a this is my remote, but totally. if you're on a phone or whatever, yeah. it's like, uh, you know, watching the movie a little bit. Oh, Wonder Woman is something. Yeah. I mean, and and totally. Warner Brothers said this. I'm going to go on off a rant, but Warner Brothers yeah, sending whatever. all their movies to HBO Max, HBO Max, you know, so you can watch Dune on your phone. Uh, is it is catering, I think, to the slackers. You know, a lot of people are like, good, I don't want to go to the theater and be bothered by all the people in there anyway. Well, now you're telling all the people in there, hey, great, don't pay attention to the movie. We'll be at home. Now they're, they're saying stay home and half watch our movie. And if you're going to half watch the movie, why are we making it? I mean, I know most of the world, you know, a large percentage of the world. This is an interesting point. This is an interesting point. I, I wouldn't mind. I would. I don't want to take up too much of your time on this either, or my time. But 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 the same thing is, you know, for getting into this whole movie theater talk, because this is this is it's about the survival of this industry. And I and I, I I honestly feel like the movie theater association of America, or whatever it is called, motion you know uh, theater uh, owners, and the whole movie industry, and even when people talk about this, like. Um, Oh, you got to see like, you know, uh, whatever it is, uh, Tenet on the big screen, Wonder Woman on the big screen, uh, whatever, it is, you know, the, the new Avengers movie. And I'm like, boy, if there's, if there's a movie that I actually don't mind watching on my phone or my laptop, it's a superhero movie. Mm -hmm. I like superhero movies, by the way. I'm not ragging on them. I, yeah. But I'm, I'm like, they're perfectly entertaining little things to watch on, on your phone on an airplane. Am I really going to watch First Reformed on my phone on an airplane? No, I'd actually probably not. I, no, I'm not going to pay attention in, in the same way. No, are you kidding me? Like you really need it to be dark and get into this slow, transcendental kind of cinema. I, so what I'm trying to say is I actually think everyone has it wrong. Like, the big movie is going to save the big screen. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, I can actually, we all have flat screens now. Like many, even like people, low income folks have a pretty nice flat screen. They're not that expensive anymore. And a little stereo bar. You can watch Wonder Woman on that. I think that's fine. Um, we, well, we live in a backwards world, right? Where people <laughs> will watch The Crown at home in in huge flocks 
Yet if you make a Queen Elizabeth movie, stick it in the theater, eh, it's not going to do as well as whatever James Bond is doing. So I don't know how you crack the code to flip the script and get people to see the good stuff like in the way you're talking. Because you have the, yeah, you're definitely reverse guy in terms of how the studio is handling their their attempts to woo people back to the theater, which is 3D and IMAX and da 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 da. But I don't know how to crack that code. I think they got it all wrong. Yeah. I honestly think they all have it wrong. Um, I remember seeing... Do you remember the the Jonathan Glazer movie Under the Skin with mm-hmm. uh, Scarlett Johansson? I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that movie. I couldn't watch this movie at home. It was too disturbing and weird and slow and quiet. And I got my dog and I got like stress on my mind of, of oh, I gotta be doing my bills. And like, no, but I saw this movie the first time at a packed house on opening weekend at the Arclight in LA. Uh, the the the, the Cinerama Dome. Um, it was one of the greatest uh, movie viewing experiences. It was it, people were just totally into this this shared experience of this bizarre movie and watching this singular vision. Like it was just so incredible. And I don't even think I would have liked this movie if mm-hmm. I saw it at home, or I would have been bored. I would have been. Uh, So personally, I think just like channels, just like cable channels have channels now, (laughs) like if you go to like, if you have like a Roku and you go to like something like a Pluto channel, then Pluto channel is basically made up of like, it's Mm -hmm. the Star Trek channel. It's the Mystery Science Theater 3000 channel. It's the 70s movies channel. Like I actually think movie theaters should do that. I think they should be neighborhood smaller movie theaters that cater specifically to, hey, we show art, we show elevated horror movies here at this theater. Hey, this theater shows big blockbusters. This theater shows um, romantic comedies from all time. It'll never fly. I'd be nope. laughed out of the room. <laughs> but I actually think it's true. I actually think it would work get out to the theater and have a collective shared experience with strangers uh, wrapped in attention of this art house horror movie, like a hereditary. Look, I think movies like hereditary or, or um, what's his other film that he did? That was oh, great. Midsummer. Summer, summer. Midsummer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, these, these can, these sort of art house horror films and, just the art movie in general um that watching those movies with strangers in the dark is i mean take get out get out's a solid movie i know it's a solid movie at home too i can i've watched it at home as well and it's and it's and it's fun it's a great movie doesn't come close to watching that movie as I did at the, where was it? Uh, Roosevelt Theater, whatever that is, kind of Southwest side of Chicago uh, with mostly African-American audience. Um, that movie was an absolute, the greatest roller coaster I've ever ridden on, the most fun I've ever had, the most thought provoking, like it was, a transcendent experience watching that film in a theater as compared to watching it at home where it's good. 
Yeah, um, the worst thing Warner Brothers did was put the announcement out there that they were sending everything to HBO Max and didn't tell the filmmakers. Like Denis Villeneuve made Dune so it could be exactly what you're talking about. Huge, shared. They were sound mixing sound for the theater and they had all this stuff prepared. Sure. And then it's like, well, we're putting on HBO Max. He's like, well, what can I do? You know? And that's and he makes those are these giant, but they're like they're kind of giant, quiet masterpieces. Yeah, like, arrival like, like Blade Runner 2046 or 2046, I forget what 49. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, they I mean it's interesting, it's interesting. So I don't know, I don't know if I'm literally the only person that has this perspective, but I, <laughs> I hope not, but I just like, doesn't that make sense? Like, yes, you would yeah. watch a, a superhero I movie mean, on your phone. Be fine. Yeah. I'm an everything in the theater guy, but you're, you're flipping the script on what the studios are trying to do is a noble cause. Absolutely. <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> Maybe you've said it's a failed endeavor, but it is a good one. I'm a, I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of uh, what Don Quixote in me. I think that's, that's my, uh, that's my, that's my, my, my cross to bear. Said this. Well, uh, my cross to bear said the Jew. <laughs> Let's wrap this up uh, with plugs. So time of your life again on Amazon prime. And you know, if you're, you must rent it. Uh, be, or buy it, Google Play and Vudu and those type of places. It's it's currently there um, because that's the other thing about streaming. You never know how long it'll be streaming on Prime. So get out there and watch it soon. But if not, it's always available for rent. And uh, the timeofyourlife.com is the place to go. Any other plugs? Yours personally? Or um, no, yeah, you can go to satori.studio, um, which is the website. There's like no .com in it. You can just do the satori.studio. That's my production company to keep track of like, Oh, what's this guy got going on next? Or, um, and then I don't know, maybe I should say this, but it's like the, the, the Blu-ray and the DVD. Um, yeah, buy buy Tom of your life, the Blu-ray and the DVD. But I'll say like there's there's literally like no extras on it, just because I, I I just couldn't get it together. So the next round I would say almost is going to have the soundtrack on it, maybe some and some behind the scenes stuff. And people have been calling me a lot for like, where's the soundtrack? You said it was going to be ready by Christmas. Yeah, I'm, you know, we're all working in a kind of COVID trance right now of, of, you know, pretending like life is normal. So it's taken a little longer than I, I anticipated. But the soundtrack will be coming out this year. And later it'll hopefully be included in extras on the, on the DVD and Blu-ray. So uh, the Blackstrap Molasses, it's a great band. And everything I'm up to, Go to themovieguys.net and at the movie guys everywhere. There's social, pretty much Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the whole shebang. Uh, and of course, more interviews like this with aforementioned Paul Osborne, Blaine Weaver, and uh, a recent interview with Alicia Witt. Uh, there's much out there to see. So please check it out. And uh, thank you again, Jeremy. Very welcome, Paul. Thank you so much. Great, great to meet you. Great to talk to you. Right. It's fun.